Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler. Uh, as always, follow the Ankler uh, on social media at the Ankler and sign up for all the Ankler newsletters and podcasts at theankler.com. Uh, joining me today are Mr. Ankler himself, Richard Rushfield from Los Angeles. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. And Elaine Lowe, also from LA. Hello, Elaine. Hello there. And then we have uh, Mr. Rob Long, uh, who's helping me out on the East Coast. Rob, you are in New York, yes? I am in New York. All right. Finally, some more East Coast people here. Uh, we are recording on yeah. the morning of uh, Friday, March 31st. Uh, yes, March is over. Just let that sit there for a second. Um, <laughs> and uh, notably, as of this morning, no new uh, deal for Lionsgate or Stars has been announced, despite a promise on their last earnings call. But I'm just going to leave that there for myself. Um and a big shakeup over at Netflix Films and the executive suite, which we'll get to shortly, uh, which certainly plays into something you were reporting about just this week, Elaine. So we will uh, get your uh, get your thoughts on that. But uh, Rob, let's uh, start with you today. Um, as you wove a pretty intriguing tale behind the curtain of a uh, TV production this week in your Martini Shop podcast that also kind of speaks to our you know current moment not just in the tv business but also i guess in regards to what's at stake in the the wga and, and guild uh guild deals overall yeah i mean i <laughs> i'm this weird position because i've been a writers guild member for 33 years and uh you know wow. I, yeah i come i'm og at this point i'm actually the person that i hated when i joined the writers guild the old man in the greek fisherman's cap saying we fought for you you know the thinking he's like part of the the wobblies or something um and i've always had a very weird relationship to it because i kind of think that they're 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 about 10 years or 15 years too late on everything um and uh and so i hated the last strike i didn't was not crazy about the agent business i didn't like any of it and so i kind of like open up click on the pattern of demands you know a month ago when because we're coming up for a new contract as everybody knows and I thought, oh, I'm going to roll my eyes at this. It's going to be like, uh, you know, we need, uh, you know, more residuals for off-network uh, VH, uh, VHF reruns, right? And and then I sort of start kicking right. through the, the boxes. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Well, that's actually a good idea. Because the, the, the pattern demand <laughs> seems to be focused on two things, which I think are probably smart things to focus on. I may not agree with every position, but they're the right – they're directionally correct. One is um, how do you uh, – how, how do you adjust for the changes in the business for young writers just starting out? So young, like younger writers just starting out who are not like fancy pants, you know, showrunners or old grizzled guys in Greek fishermen's caps who live in the high desert like me. Not, not really, but you know what I mean? And then the second thing is how do you in general um, keep the ecosystem that we're all part of healthy, right? So, you know, you only get you know, the, uh, the premises. You can only get a hit if you have some chips on the felt. And the way to do get hits is to have as many chips on the felt as you can. That's that's the secret to Hollywood. Um, you know, you know, you, you want to hit TV show. You got to make 10 pilots. It's a base venture. It's a venture business. And there's only one way to do it. And it seems like the writer's guild is the right. only group right now arguing for, you know, reality based, rational based, um, history based success. And the studios and the streamers um, are are bizarrely out of step. Um, and you can see this now, and that's what I said, I got in got, got big trouble because people really don't like it when they hear it. But, you know, when I hear about layoffs and studios and streamers, I'm supposed to say, oh my God, the business is in trouble. Instead, I'm saying they finally figured it out. They don't need 45 people doing one job. That That is an absolutely 
just a, 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 in, I mean, a corporate incompetence that, that you could run a studio with 12 people. Like they, I, I think they laid off one of the studios. I don't want to mention the guy's name. I'm sure he's a pretty good guy, but why did Marvel have to have a high level general counsel? What on earth is this? That is not going to put a hit in the movie theaters or on the TV screen. You want to put a hit on the movie theaters or TV screen, you got to have writers and people coming up with ideas, some of which are going to be terrible, but some of which are going to be big hits. But no executive is ever going to do I, that. So my rant is over. I, I remember uh, one, one, prominent, one prominent executive explaining to me, however, that, uh, that the greatness of a studio comes not from its leanness, but from its fat. Oh, yeah. Is that person still there, Richard, or no? <laughs> May well be. But look, I mean, the other thing I didn't say, which is like, I, I think because I was hope, yeah, I'm so I'm, I, I'm sure that the, some of the members of the leadership of the Writers Guild, some of whom I count as my like, dear friends, old friends, um, can't stand like, would, like, punch me in the nose at the next meeting if I showed up. But this one, I really kind of feel like, OK, well, they got a point. And the second thing I would just say is that we don't have to reinvent stuff. We just have to, you know, unreinvent stuff. The studios used to have things called story departments. And that's where you went and you got a regular paycheck and you could get a two year, three year deal. And you sat there and you you wrote scripts or whatever it is you did. I don't remember what. But, but I know Faulkner was in the story department. So you could have been could have been that bad. You probably had your long lunches free. Um, and there's a way to come up with a, way, a, a method of doing that that will be um, that can conform to most writer skilled um, expectations and demands, but also a, address the fact that the business is different now. Yeah, and finding for those, I guess, I want to just expound upon that notion of the younger writers in the business, uh, Rob. And you know, so what are what are yeah. the things that are in the deal that kind of speak to that? Like, hey, it's not about protecting the the showrunner making three hundred million dollar deals and getting them three hundred ten million dollars. It's about protecting the right. showrun the the new writer who uh, you know faces these challenges. So, what expound a little bit on, on that, if you would. Well, it's really just a matter of like stretching the dollar, right? So a long span contract. So you're under contract in show business for, you know, 18, now 24 months sometimes on a few, a few tiny number of episodes. So you got to, you can't go anywhere else. So like whatever you're getting for your episodic fee, it's got to last you two, three years the way it didn't before. Um, and you're, they have these little mini rooms now. So they have people, a lot of people, I heard a story the other day, which is shocking to me, a writer who's actually a very, very accomplished um, showrunner being asked to run a show for a streamer for 20 weeks, getting paid by the week, mm. which is not how we you traditionally do it. And not, not a lot. And also under contract for two years. So his episodic fee, which was a quote that he earned over 25 years has basically been cut by 60%. If he takes the deal um, that, again, we're not, I mean, I'm boo hoo hoo the successful guys but if you're just starting well, the same out deal rob right i mean that person that their fees can be much smaller than what that showrunner's fee would be right i mean in, in that scenario yes yeah, yeah exactly right you could and 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 they have less flexibility and of course they have to live in a la county i guess and right. this just isn't a way it isn't a way it it, it isn't smart it, i'm not i'm not i don't i'm not asking them to be nice but it isn't a way to sustain a business to reinvigorate a business and to make sure that there's a constant flow of successful product coming down your pipeline. So that's a, they're stepping on the hose at the very beginning, and it's a mistake. So, Rob, uh, the, the, the streamers don't spell this out precisely, but Richard seems to be. Uh, we in the tech world, we from Silicon Valley, have entered a lot of businesses from taxi driving to right. uh, 
peanut butter manufacturing or whatever the else they do. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and and every and everyone we've heard that have, there's this delicate ecosystem that that can't be disturbed or, or else right. people will never be able to to get a ride again or they'll never be able to get peanut butter again. Everything and 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 that ecosystem depends on people being paid immense amounts and including the people that don't particularly have it are, are very interchangeable and don't particularly have any valuable. So you're just one more business saying that right, same thing. Right. And uh, we think people would probably pay us to, to be able to allow, allowed to write on TV shows. Uh, so what, why, why should we listen here? Well, first of all, they, 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 they have that, that model exists. It's called YouTube. So if you like it, just make, just turn Netflix into YouTube. Second thing I'd say is that's just, wrong i mean netflix is not a technology company i don't care what they think they are they are not a technology company they are a movie and tv studio that is what they are because that's what the customer says they are that's how you know what business you're in because what the customer buys i can't go to mcdonald's and say give me a pizza you're a pizza restaurant no i want a hamburger right mcdonald's can't change that if they want like they're not allowed to the customer is the king the second thing i'd say is you know that they're in the media business and they're a TV business because they're putting ads on. That's how you know. They are uh, an advertiser basically supported. They are running to advertising because they knew they always would have to, to support their business because they are, in fact, CBS in 1952. And, you know, they can make an, I don't know, they can drive an electric car. They can have the cool meetings and they can pretend there's something else. But that is what they are. Show business has not changed. The customer still wants to sit and watch. And that's what they like to do. And one of the reasons why some of these sure half hour comedies doing so well is because, <laughs> you know, you're asking the customer to do a lot less. You know, you, NBC is coming up with all sorts of reasons why the, the Night Court reboot is successful. But the reason it's successful is because it's funny and it's half an hour and you can watch one and you can go about your day. People, that is it. And like you, you, can, you can overthink it all you want, but. And, and I would say the second thing is they're not in the technology business. They are, if anything, they're in the venture business. And the venture business is a lot of, you got to keep a lot of money in the bank to make a lot of mistakes. You don't work, you cannot reverse engineer a hit. And Rob, I know you did mention, you know, 33 years, you've seen a lot of negotiations. These deals come up <laughs> yeah, every right. three years or yeah. so. Uh, it's, you know, we're here like the cusp of April 1st, a month, a month out from the, the first yeah. deadline or that's on, that's on the books. What do you, and we really haven't heard much or at least publicly from the studio side. Um, how do you, you know, what is your, and what you've talked to other writers and at this point, now you've engaged with the, the, the points you see from the WGA, what is your sense on on this at this point uh, in terms of, A, how this will progress over the next month and how steadfast the Guild and the people will, will be on, on these points that you're agreeing with? Well, I mean, I think they also have some kind of streaming residual stuff. This is stuff to give up, I guess, for the writers guild. The problem is that I think everybody – not everybody, but I think definitely the producers, streamers, they want to strike. The strike is a rational uh, move for them. Um you know, in 30 days, you get to force majeure all your old deals. You get to clear out the house. You get to basically you're you're cleaning out the garage, emptying the refrigerator. You're starting new. Uh, there's something super attractive about that. You're going to have some quarterly earnings. You're going to go way up because you're not going to be spending money on production. And if you're Netflix, you've got I don't know how many bajillion hours they have sitting on servers somewhere unwatched. So um, they believe they can make it, and they also believe that there's, there's a sort of a you know there's a financial upside like these deals are hard to get out of once they and they're multi-year 
but I think I don't know how many weeks it is into a strike. You get to force majeure everybody. You get to fire everybody and get out of every deal you want and then rebuild your studio and repoint it any way you want. Second thing they like is they like having a longer strike, I think, because it allows them all to get together and figure out how they are all going to pay for the concessions they're going to make. They're not supposed to do this. It's called collusion, actually. It's illegal. But you know they do it. <laughs> they go in the meeting. They did it in 2007, 2008. They go in the meeting, and they kind of agree, okay, well, we're going to give them some streaming residuals here, whatever residuals, whatever the issues were, the financial concessions they make as they're going into back to their car Literally, probably in the parking garage of the Writers Guild building, they are saying, well, listen, you know, if we're going to give the writers this, these minimum increases, we're all going to have to kind of agree to like hold the line on episodic fees, which are, of course, not part of the guild or uh, other other deal points, which is one of the reasons why episodic fees across the board after the last strike went down it, it everywhere all over town by the same number. It wasn't magic. It was that they kind of like looked at each other and said, well. If we agree on these terms, we have to get it back somehow, and here's how we're going to get it back. We're going to get it back in all the non-guild supervised ad hoc business affairs deals they make with showrunners and writers and people like that. So um, I now have just accused them of federal trade crime, but I mean yeah. that's yeah. like they're not <laughs> – I'll leave that for your next podcast, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. One, but one question, Rob. Isn't isn't part of this a, a, a battle of uh... – uh, you've, you've talked about this of, of two different kinds of writers here and that yeah. if the, stream, the streamers have made these, these giant deals with, uh, with, with all these producers. So why couldn't they just say, okay, hire minimum and, and you have to hire 40 writers. So Shonda, go hire 40 writers and take it out. Take it out of the budget you have. Uh, good, good luck with you there. Just pass, pass along whatever concessions they make to the, to the producers. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a handful of people, really, ultimately. But the, the but in general, the argument, the problem with the writer's guild, the, the weakness of it, um, or, or just I, I would say that's the negotiation weakness of it, the institutional weakness of it, is that upper level writers, showrunners, end up making more deals with writers than they have made for them. So, the, you know, you, you, you want to fight the man, but sometimes the man is a member of the Writers Guild of America West, <laughs> like right next to you at the meeting. Um, I mean, I've like I cut it up one day. I've, I have made more. De- I mean, I'm, not, I'm no Shonda Rhimes, that's for sure. But I've made more deals. I mean, I've been on the other side of more deals with writers than I've had made for me, because obviously when you do a TV show, you hire nine, 10 writers. Those are nine or 10 deals. You do enough TV shows pretty soon. You have, you know, your 30, 40 deals you make. Um, so. Part of the problem with the Writers Guild is that it's an uneasy alliance between writers who are, in fact, management um, and writers who are, um, you know, on staff. Uh, and traditionally, what that has done is that the writers who are in management are sometimes the most vociferous about going out. <laughs> they're, they're they're always marching on the picket line because it's like, you know, listen, this is a, it's, you got six months off. You like you can kind of you know relax. Um, this could be a little different now because I think there's a bunch of writers who are um, companies themselves, and uh, and I think the development and, and a lot of yeah, those... yeah and the development system's broken anyway. So um, they're going to have to figure out a way to you know if you're a studio, who, does it make any sense for these big for you to make these big deals? What is the work product of a big deal? Um, is it development help? Is it the fact that they come up with an idea and they develop it and they refine it? In which case that may require a different 
economic model. Well, we have a month to go, Rob. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll find those answers I, out. I say two months and more. Yeah, I say two months. I think it's gonna go. They're gonna yell and yell. And yell okay, and yell. all right. Going into my summertime. All right, Rob. Uh, as always, thanks for uh, popping in and joining us. I'm sure we'll have you back uh, for another update within, within a few weeks. Yeah, next time you see me, I'll be carrying a picket line. Picket sign. I mean, yeah. there <laughs> we go. Love it. See, see, we'll, see you on the gram. We'll there you go. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and Richard, of course, uh, you know, uh, you did your update on, on the negotiations, you know, one in the, in the angler this week, but one point that stuck out for me really was, you know, if there is a strike, the thing that might tip things in one direction or the other, which we don't know now was, could be, you know, the stock price of these companies, you know, since four weeks, uh, four or five weeks from now. Um, and you kind of looked at the history of each, each player streamer and studio and the history of their labor negotiation stances, um, but it really could be, uh, not be a game time thing, but the you know the the position of a company can change pretty fast in this ecosystem in terms of their business health, and that may be something that plays a larger role here that we just don't know yet. I guess Richard, right? Yeah, if your stock plummets, uh, as 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 a lot of the uh, media stocks have in the last couple of years, that can it can definitely change your motivation here. I you know and it, it, part of the complexity is you've got two companies. Uh, Amazon and Apple that are pretty insulated from from uh, any any they're, they're such a small part of their business that uh, that that Amazon stock isn't going to tank because of this, but uh, uh, Netflix could. On the other end, uh, though, Netflix could, as as Rob laid out, Netflix, Netflix could have an extremely profitable quarter because because uh, they get to shut down production and clear a lot of things up, and they have plenty of stuff in the pipeline, so. It's not going to slow down. It's not going to increase churn in the in the short run. So, uh, so maybe the stock doesn't fall off. Yeah, uh, Wall Street logic can be a little uh, antithetical to what you think. Where you know layoffs are reacted by by stock increases. It's not you know even though it signals trouble in the business. You know, allaying this dichotomy of like perception and reality can kind of be a reverse of how you think it probably logically might go. Right. Right, absolutely. It's like is the is the it's like it's like it's like a chicken and an egg thing, right? It's like is the stock down because there's something wrong with the company or because right. people think there's something wrong with the company and then it just sort of becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see where that lands in a month. I will note that May first conveniently dovetails with uh, a lot of Q1 earnings calls. So um that generally will happen uh probably that first week after week of may 5th and the week of uh second week of may and then which also dovetails into upfronts which is quite a collision course if your guild is on strike who reproduces your shows going into sell to the advertising community saying buy our fall shows which may or may not be here right elaine yeah that's a that's a tricky place to be in isn't it <laughs> yeah it's a lot it's a lot more to cut it's still four weeks out and there's a lot we're not quite all of our on our front of our minds at Elaine, but i'm like these things will they're on the calendar they will solidify they're coming up way sooner than we think exactly and you can't they're, they're not changing so uh that's one thing and then also rich is one other quick thing that i want to just touch on here was this notion of like stretching content um as a card to pull uh, you know, to kind of if there is a strike or even even in general where studios, you know, HBO Max and Peacock and Apple even are oddly are the ones who've been doing the one episode a week approach to content drops. Amazon has been doing essentially the binge drop, I believe, but uh, on the whole and then Netflix certainly is a big believer in the binge drop. But 
uh, you know, they don't, they don't uh, so the, the streamers, the, the studios don't have the card to pull, you know, that is their strategy. But if Netflix were to start going weekly as a card to pull saying, we're going to, hey, we have all these shows and we're going to make them last longer. The consumer doesn't know that. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a tough card to pull for them. Wouldn't you think if that was the case? I mean, I I, I think it's, it's 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 tough for some of them. I mean, and, you know, Netflix, as Rob said, there probably has a ungodly amount of, uh, of of things just sitting in the basket right now that they yeah. could that they could stretch out forever. It's uh, but, um, you know, what most of the things that go up on service on the services now, nobody watches. So if you, it, you know, it would, the, the, the things we talk about, the shows that are hits, there's, there's so much going on. That's, what is that? 2% of, of, of all the shows Netflix launches, Netflix puts up a new show every day, literally. Um, you, so, you know, you could, you could, you could, uh, you, if you just focus on the, uh, the things that actually have some potential, uh, to be watched, you can you can really stretch this out and uh, go a long way before you start feeling any churn here. They could actually stretch it out a little if they put a little marketing push behind it, because that's always the big complaint or about that, that yeah. right? That they're not actually marketing the shows because of the sheer volume. But if they started to pull back on the volume play week to week and actually put a little marketing muscle behind some of these smaller shows, then then yeah. Well, that's a religious conviction of theirs, also that comes from. So is advertising, Richard, but you you don't need that. You don't need to, you don't need to market that. That's great. Things will just be found and the algorithm can direct, uh, can direct people exactly to what they want to see. So, but could a byproduct of this, Elaine, uh, kind of be that, uh, you know, if studios, studios and streamers do stretch it out, so they're not dropping a new show every week and they find that, oh, this actually is not resulting in a loss of subscribers. We could have been doing this all along. This could change the model in a way that they're not that no one's really intending in a sense, right? Yeah, sure. And and this also would help slow down the the streaming creation pipeline, right? That's already been slowed down because you you have things that are being pulled off of these services, right? I mean, I think then you can run into the question of if you even have a dearth of content, can you just say, hey, that thing that we were pulling as a tax write off, maybe let's bring it back if we actually need a little extra content. But yeah, if you slow it down. I mean, like, who is the consumer really going to be able to tell a difference outside of, let's say, Disney Plus when you have a big tentpole Marvel Loki type show that's dropping? Right. And even they're slowing it down. You know, uh, this had been about nine months between our, our Marvel shows now with Secret Invasion being dated for June and Loki season two. Does, you know, you're, the show you're waiting for, Elaine, still do- doesn't quite have a date, unfortunately, on the Disney calendar. Probably won't be until. Uh, the fall at the earliest so um, i'm sorry for you but uh <laughs> i am sorry for me too um i love me some tom hiddleston um but it's it's <laughs> if you look at it seven bucks a month right if if you look at these cheaper services well then the, is that the first thing that's really going to get cut it might be the things at the top of the tier the hbo maxes the netflixes if you're if you haven't already downgraded to an ad tier i think those are the things that are possibly at risk of being cut out of a wallet share first yeah, and there's no proven tactic here. It's just what's been done. Not that it, it's apparently worked, but there's not to say that another way could equally work. Because again, I think the we everybody says we're overloaded. We don't know where to find things. There's five thousand shows. Like no one's like, oh, I have nothing to watch. Or like I don't know where to watch things, and I don't have time to watch all the shows I want to watch. Is generally the sentiment that's out there. So 
you know, this recalibration uh, may naturally occur and this strike could, if it does happen, could possibly move that along in that direction. So it's definitely something to, you know, to keep an eye on um, as we go forward here. So, and one thing we uh, will shift over to the employment industry of Hollywood, a lot going on this week. Uh, Elaine, you wrote a piece about it that was very timely, but we'll just to set things up uh, the week alone, Roku announced they're cutting another 6% of their staff, uh, another 200 people being let go after letting go, another 200 back just in November. So, you know, just when you thought the end of 22, 2022 job cuts were it, uh, there's no guarantee on that. Um, and that could be a sign of more to come. Uh, Disney and Iger put out his plan, of course, which was awaited, but finally putting concrete uh, kind of goalposts in that. And then last night, uh, good old Netflix announced uh, some pretty big changes in their film division, right, Elaine? Yeah, they're documentary indie film uh very high levels senior executives lisa nishimura and ian break um you know nishimura had been there since the as, as they were mentioning the dvd days right like <laughs> right. She, she's an og netflixer so it was a real shock to the community to see her departure and this comes on the heels of last year's 450 plus wave of layoffs at netflix which largely impacted you know, lower mid-level executives. And really, it was noted to me from some of the folks who had departed had not really hit that top level. And this is the first I think we're seeing of of more senior level departures. And I imagine it must raise a question of, are there going to be more senior level departures uh, coming down the way? Because this isn't something that they had previously done in the name of streamlining, in the name of efficiency. Um, and, you know, what does this mean for the business? Is this more of a strategic thing? Uh, you'll notice it's documentaries and indie films. And I was talking to a streaming exec this morning who says this probably means that they are just generally less interested in indie uh, even after big uh, critical hits like Jane Campion's Power of the Dog, you know, and uh, I think, um, you know, we'll see a pullback, according to this person, we'll see a pullback of, of indie films across the board in town. So it might not be something that's exclusive to Netflix and on that front, on the strategic oh. front. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, the view is the king at Netflix, whatever it is, it's a view. Can, you know, uh, the prestige has a place, but you know, maybe how much of it they want to do is being recalibrated in that. All right. We don't need to do this much, or this isn't paying off for us. And however, whatever metrics that we set for this stuff uh, is not getting to that. And I mean, you know, they, so, but uh, they, they still, they still have the all important metric of uh, Ted Sarandos would like to have an Oscar. And and he would like it very 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 much. Uh, yeah. So they they have to keep alive uh, uh, a sector to uh, satisfy that uh, metric, right? But maybe they just yeah feel that. I mean, so so Stuber is uh, the head of Netflix Films is streamlining the essentially his direct reports into three people, uh, all of whom were. Uh, I think or at least two of whom are from the studio side, more background in mid to bigger budget films, um, which, you know, read into that as you, as you will. Um, I just not to say they won't be doing independent or things along those lines, but the resources internally seemingly will be, will be less in that regard. And again, and, that, that, and that's also but, interesting because the, the conversation has, has been, as the, the pundits look at it, everybody's, have agreed well they need to they should stop making these red notices and there have been 
leaks leaks out and saying they what what good do these giant tent poles do them that uh, nobody nobody watches it or anything and uh once again uh once again netflix uh often the the, the punditry decides that uh decides out a direction for uh for netflix and uh, netflix goes in the other direction yeah it could be you know and also just you know, to keep in mind, you know, Netflix is, is a global business. So again, do these indie film, maybe they don't really travel, you know, uh, the travels well outside or things like that, that again, how much of this resource do we want to put in? And they look at the numbers globally, not just what plays here. And, you know, the gray man's or the rom-com from Reese Witherspoon, you know, whatever it might be is like, all right, we need more of these kinds of things. And these things are just not traveling. So we need to have the you know cut this in half or whatever the you know the the metric might be. Um, it could be a, you know a tactic that's going on, but you know, but we've seen the pullback already. Even this year, the output was the film output from U.S. Netflix films was lower than 2021, and maybe they're going to be cutting it back more next year. You know, that maybe they're doing that kind of you know instead of as I would say you know quantity is job one, leaning more toward the quality is job one and uh getting the the total output down could be something else that's going on there as well but a big shakeup I mean there's also something it you know it's it, it's it's quantity of films but you know you give Noah Baumbach 100 million dollars to mm-hmm. film a uh a Don DeLillo novels you could have you could have 20 independent films for uh for right. for that amount uh right. so the, it, it it sort of a uh, not there's always been a mitch a mismatch between price tag and actual audience pay uh pay i mean but they ended up probably spending half a billion or something like that on on uh on the irishman before they were done and there's no conceivable uh metric that 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 pays that off um so they this 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 mismatch they've had between the the uh the price tag of their their independent films and whatever they uh and whatever the payoff of that is whatever the, the secret goal of those things are yeah but you also have to you know as we always say you have to place your bets you know there's no that if that don DeLillo movie had taken off and won the oscar we'd be having a different conversation well maybe it was money that wasn't that but you know so in, in a sense but do you have to spend that much money on your bets that's for them to decide that's uh as i always say above my pay grade but uh we will see what transpires, but Elena, I want to get back to your piece a little bit here. And maybe, you know, that Roku news about the additional round of layoffs here, what, four months after the last round, adds a pretty unsettling tone. Or what, what was your, what was your, the town is that? unsettled, or as one longtime showrunner put it to me, the town is burning. We <laughs> all know it's burning. What are we going to do to stop it from burning? um it, the everyone's demoralized right like when you look at the creative community uh you know everything going on with the 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 pending WGA talks you look at what's happening with the rounds and rounds and rounds of layoffs seemingly everywhere it doesn't feel like any major entertainment company is safe from that at this stage still and what that breeds is a demoralization and people are waiting for the other shoe to drop which is no way to work to go into work every day and to see if more of your colleagues are going to get cut doesn't exactly uh, get the creative juices flowing, right? So uh, for the folks that I talked to for this story, it, and I, I talked to people not just in L.A. or New York, but, you know, former Netflix software engineers in San Francisco, 
someone who was a production coordinator for Warner Brothers Discovery in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is all over the country. These are folks who are looking for a professional forever home and are having trouble finding it, and not for a lack of talent or qualifications, but because of the gyrations of the streaming economics, uh, because of the continued consolidation that we're still seeing the after effect of. We're still seeing WBD make all these cuts. We're seeing other places make cuts out of the name of, uh, you know, cost savings and, and you know, a pending recession or, you know, economic downturn. Um, and it's making people question, A, uh, you know, sort of what am, what am I doing with my career? And B, is any of these, are any of these places worth my time and my loyalty and my devotion? Because there's really no such thing as being a company man anymore. You look at what happened at Netflix yesterday. Uh, what does that mean when somebody who has been there for 10, 15 years uh is is shown to the exit and i that is something that has happened across every major company there are very few executives at a senior level left that have been there for a decade or two and that that sense of this musical chairs that i think we are used to seeing where it's like oh this person was at nbc and then we see them pop up at a streamer and then we see them you know sort of they 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 take their turns around town i i think there are fewer and fewer chairs there and that's really breeding a sense of, oh, no, what's next? Because I thought I would be at a certain stage in my career by now. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's really just demoralizing all across town, both from from the higher executive levels to the production coordinators working on the ground. Yeah. And it's just what is that? What's the long term effect of that, which we don't know, but it's <laughs> but the signs don't point to a great uh, output uh, or, uh, you know, as a result of that po- in a po- policy, it is what it is. But how do you maintain a culture, a company culture of of positivity and good results with the, everything everything you just talked about at a company? You know, put yourself not you, but uh, as an executive and in the uh, people's shoes, and like you tell me, what am I supposed to be excited about here at the company? That uh, you know, it's like a, even if I mean, we mentioned Paramount, but like Paramount's still in the process of merging Showtime and Paramount. You know what's happening. It's three or four months off, or whatever it might be. You know, in, we're going to see more fallout. Third quarter, there's got to be. You know, once that once that happens again, they'll see what they need and don't need. And as you're working there right now, it's like, all right, I'm going to go in and do my job. But if I do a stellar job, there's still no. That's not guaranteeing that I'm going to be here. You know, even doing mm-hmm. which essential was always the backfall. If I do my job the best, I will be. You know, the recognized. cream will rise to the top. That's the not rise, exactly. And I don't know that that is that's, an illusion. Yeah, right, Richard. I mean, I would say that uh, the 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 problem, you know, there's cost cutting happens, and there's cuts, and there's 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 layoffs, and they they happen, and you can kind of understand them and wrap your head around them and live with them if 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 they're for a purpose and they're 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 towards something like okay, we have to we have to right size it, but we're refocusing the company on X, which has great hope for growth and everything. The problem is it's this cost it's the cuts are in a vacuum of there's no plan. Uh, you know, the plan was make, put everything towards streaming and, and kill off the rest, all the rest of your businesses. Uh, that was plan a plan B is now, okay. Cut a ton of people, but cutting you cutting does not build a business. Uh, it, 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 it uh, stops your, you know, we're, right now we're just, we're just, we're just dealing with the fallout of plan a, 
and there's no uh, there's no Plan C, as it were. There's no you know Bob Bob Iger return and his uh, his brilliant moves so far have been have been uh, about cutting and tweaking prices. Uh, that you know tweaking prices doesn't get more doesn't get people excited about your uh, about your studio. He's still got he's got he's got all his major divisions are in some sort of uh, state of confusion and rebuilding. So what's what's the plan to fix that? What's the plan to make people excited about Marvel again? What's the plan to uh, what's the plan to have a new animated hit for the which which is the engine of Disney for the first time and I don't know what when was the last frozen size hit they they produced? It's right. It's been a long time and and so if if you're cutting but if you're cutting but you're saying okay but they're there's this new plan in place and two, three years down the horizon, a, a better day is, is coming. You can, you can, you can bear with the cuts, but if it's just like, okay, here's this round of cuts and next, next year, there'll be another round of cuts and another round of cuts until the company is down to zero. Um, and honestly, even two to three years is a long time to wait, to see how things are going to suss out, given how quickly the streaming market is moving. I mean, and that, only how quickly these companies pivot their strategy. Two to be do it, but it's an entertainment company. It's like you, you, you know, you, you, you don't turn a cruise ship. I mean, you can't put a new DC strategy up on the screens in, in six months, unfortunately. So, um, that's that. That's what you have to do. And it, it just, I, I don't. No place seems to be projecting a uh, a really coherent plan. A couple places on a on, on an individual scale, but. Uh, but but the, the the big places we've talked about um, just don't 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 seem to have a plan to turn turn these things turn the forces around right now, and that uh, that is as scary as anything. And you know I think there's also the sentiment too on some level right of well why should any of these studios any of the decision makers making these cuts really care because layoffs are a fact of life. Sometimes you have to streamline a company, especially when you look at the last couple of years of potentially overhiring during the pandemic and now having to pare back on some of those hundreds or thousands of employees that you added when everybody at home was a captive viewer. Um, but I think the more important question that when you as a big business should look at is, A, how does this impact the creative process? When I'm talking to creative executives at studios who say, eh, maybe I won't be here in a year, a year and a half. I'll follow my boss who I like to whatever place they're going to go next. And I'm not as invested in the work here. When you have a longtime showrunner who says something like, I don't even bother learning the names of any of the execs that I pitch or that I talk to anymore because they're going to be gone in months then you have a problem. You're creating a creative disconnect there. And that ultimately does have an impact on the creative process. Um, again, especially with the backdrop of everything happening with the WGA. And then you look at how this impacts the next generation, right? Gen Zs have a very different view on work than me as a millennial, as Gen Xers, boomers. Um, you know, there's, I, I, for me, I'm just happy to be here. If you talk to the, your average, like millennial, <laughs> that's the vibe. I'm just happy to be here. We started work in the great recession. Like you're going to give me a paycheck. Great. Uh, but if you're a 20 something Gen Z, you have different expectations. You want something out of a company. You want it to be socially responsible. You want it to make a stand on certain political issues. And Gen Z's will walk. 
I was talking to headhunters who say Gen Zs will walk. So if you have a 20-something-year-old executive who decides that this studio really isn't doing it for me, even in this tough economy, they'll just say, fine, I'm going to peace out after six months. No big deal. No need to stick around and wait for a year to have that on your resume because people don't apparently care about that as much anymore. And I I think I think you're just going to see greater turnover. Yeah, that could be. A, a, I mean, again, it's in a well, maybe not in Hollywood, but but an economy that is I'll get a job somewhere else, you know, and until they have that experience of the musical chairs where, oh, wait. I, I shouldn't have left that job. I've been out of work for six months or, you know, like when to, that's when like reality kind of can kick in or they, I think maybe what may also take place is, you know what, I'm going to work in a different industry where a lot of people are so, or maybe I'm, I'm the Gen Xer, you're the millennium Richards Gen Xer. Like we were like, we're working in Hollywood, damn it. And that's it. You know, where everybody, <laughs> the younger generation may be like, eh, you know what, I will go work at YouTube or I'll go work, you know, uh, at TikTok or I'll go work yeah. anywhere or leave the business and do video for somebody else, you know, or they don't, they're going to kids. Be. They're not and married. I, they have the flexibility. They can I mean, yeah. move to a different city. As a, as, as an analyst, as an analyst who understands the importance of uh, youth in an entertainment company, I say that's a problem as a, my, my, my Gen X blood when I hear about uh, <laughs> the Gen Zers are going to walk, walk out because uh, the company doesn't have their, doesn't do X or, or Y, I say, uh, let, let me know in a couple of years how that works out for you, Gen Z. <laughs> that's, uh, that's exactly the thought I had, Richard, and you and I are the Gen Xers of that. Yeah. We both have that same thing of like, yeah, wait when a you, second. You know, when, that, you find that perf- when you find that perfect company that really right. treasures, you let me treasures your opinion and, yeah. and all this, yeah. then... Uh, Drop, and, drop, uh, drop me a uh, note on whatever uh, social media platform we're using at that point. Yeah, oh, so exactly. cynical, save, you guys. Save me a seat. <laughs> save me a seat there. I'll, 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 come to, I'll be right behind you. Yeah. And just one final note on that, Richard, you mentioned that I want to just mention about the, the cuts is that, you know, and Elaine, that notion of the cream rises to the top and I'm in the division that works, you know, whatever. There's that always that set, like there's layoffs, but it's in the division that's in the AR division or it's in the whatever. But, the, you know, the, the Disney layoffs are across the board and it's like that's the uh, not unselling the selling part, but it really is adds a level of like you're not safe anywhere. I mean, you know, the ABC News division was cut like news was not pointed out as a problem anywhere before, but they have to find heads like that's the point where it's at. And that's like, as you said, layoffs come and go in some departments like if we're going to shift from if you're in a linear TV business. Yeah, probably not much of a future there. If you're in streaming, you're thought to be this because it is the future of the business. And now with these cuts. That's not been the case. It's just like you have to find 10%, whatever the number is, everybody does, you know, and that's maybe adding a little bit of it. Is that something that rings true in what you've been hearing and what you think personally or? I think when you look at the bottom line, when you look at Disney's balance sheet, what is the cash cow? That is not news. It is not definitely not, uh, you know, linear networks. It's theme parks. And so I think you have holistically, room to make trims around every other segment because at the end of the day that's where your money's coming in from disney world from disneyland from all of these parks across the world that have seen pent up demand after the pandemic because those parks were shut down for a year (laughs) and they're still crowded as ever raising prices has not been impacting uh the business at all so it's like, you know, that's that's the place you got to focus your energy on because that's what's bringing in the dollars at the end of the day, not yeah. this tiny margin streaming business. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's a t- tough back and forth. But um, 
But one, as we're talking about Disney, we'll throw out one little quick item to throw out to finish up here this week. Uh, the Disney Apple rumors kind of came back up out of the out of the uh, it's like the Groundhog Day rumor. I feel like of the media business, like he, they it came up when Iger came back three, you know, back in the end of 2022, and and there was a note this week, Elaine, from an analyst about saying that I, I, would you, it's you a good more... idea i yeah that the, the idea that it's a good idea which i feel like comes up every six months when we have a slow news day what <laughs> apple bought fill in the blank what if apple bought disney and that's right. that's, a, that's like they a have a lot of cash they should buy something what should, what yeah. should we yeah yeah uh, and, and, well, and listen okay richard we'll get to you um right. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's like listen this comes up every six months I do. I know that Disney stock is down, what, 30 percent year over year. It's slightly more attractive now price wise, I suppose. But does anyone really think and I'll probably eat my words after this, that <laughs> Apple is going to buy Disney at what, a hundred and eighty, ninety billion dollar market cap? Maybe. Uh, so so I, I, I've done last last week. I said that Apple is just in this for uh in this whole thing, just as kind of a, a marketing thing for them, and I've done some, I've done some rethinking about that. I, I, I've been talking to some people. Uh, they, 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 I here's here's the thing. Both Apple. Here, here's why it makes sense. Both Apple and Disney badly need a another act here. They need. They Apple hasn't. Apple hasn't had a hit product. Hasn't had a new hit product in what now? 10, 15 years? Uh, Scott, you know, the, the, the VR glasses are going to save everything. So don't worry. Yeah. Okay, you know. <laughs> they, they are a, a long time between it. What's, what's the big thing they've, they've done that's, that's, that's really worked well the last 10 years of Apple music, which they get, they, they got in, which they got into and, uh, and everybody said they were crazy to, to go down, down that road and is now a huge, uh, cornerstone of the of, of of the of the music industry here uh may, why, why is uh so apple tv you can see as uh following that same path they're 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 putting they they are they are getting involved in production here they're uh they're 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 putting a foot into that world and when they think about it okay yes they can build their own studio they don't they don't need another studio they have all this money but they're never going to build a studio by like Disney and they can never just say like, Oh, we'll make our own Marvel. We'll make our own, we'll make our own frozen. Like good luck with that. Um, we'll make our own star Wars. It is for Apple in terms of brands to be associated with. This is the Tiffany aspirational halo brand uh, of, of, of all halo halo brands. It lets you have a whole new, World of marketing from parks everywhere. Tomorrowland becomes Apple Land, and all the parks and everything. It the the it just it it gives Disney needs something big to 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 shake things up. Uh, Apple needs another act and another way to another way to go forward. Unless they're they have a new unless they're inventing uh, a new house or something for for us. So I, I and and as you say the 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 price is right and it's never going to be better and. Is the price right though, Richard? One hundred and eighty billion dollars would be just an order of magnitude higher than their largest acquisition, which was Beats, for what three plus billion dollars almost a decade ago. We're talking yeah, a, a huge difference. We're not talking like 
Amazon acquiring Whole Foods for $13.7 billion like five years ago. We're not talking Facebook acquiring WhatsApp for almost $20 billion. Like this is something that hasn't cracked a single digit billion acquisition for Apple. They're known for making these smaller acquisitions. And part of that is keeping things in their very tightly controlled atmosphere. Can you imagine Apple getting into the theme parks business with yeah, I can. I, 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 I can see them get. <laughs> I, I can see the Applefication and all the things Apple with their Apple products could do all around Disneyland, and 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 you know, touch your your, give your special tablet where you make all your reservations and get on the lines and everything. And you know, I'll bet I'll bet Tim Cook walks in there and sees the crazy Disney Genie system that everybody's struggling to figure out and trying to, you know, ever, trying desperately to get uh, on Wi-Fi at the right moment to reserve their place on the Star Wars line. But they say, yeah, we could probably do that a lot better and make people really appreciate Apple products while we're at it. Tomorrowland, as I say, could be an entire tribute to to the the, the Apple ecosystem. It's um, they need to, they haven't done this before, but uh, as I say, you, you look at their last decade um, and what do they have to show for it? The watch? Like, so they, they need to, and, and, uh, you know, VR headset, they're, 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 they're looking to follow Facebook on the, on the road of, uh, augmented reality glory there. Uh, they, they need some sort of big game changer. And okay, but uh, what if we even just break it down to the content part of the business, right? How much does this make sense on the content side? We know that Apple is very into curating and having a very limited slate. They are not a volume player. They are not a Netflix. They the thing exactly that they do like have in Disney common, film. Well, the thing they do have in common with Disney is that they're both very family friendly, right? We know that Apple is not into uh, the Game of Thrones, you know, drug, sex, violence uh, of they're HBO. Both aspiration, they're both aspirational brands. But that would just be such a huge pivot. Like they're they have not traditionally even been interested in acquiring library or back catalog on Apple TV Plus. Not traditionally, but but uh, okay. So at the bottom of all this is the one the 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 one thing that you can't leave out. Uh, Tim Cook um, and Eddie Q seem to really really like being in Hollywood, like like it a lot. And why not as become much as kings? Jeff Bezos does? Why not become kings of Hollywood overnight? Which they would. They would. They Ted Sarandos would be looking on on them in envy. All right, we'll find you out got soon. A, got a trillion. <laughs> you got a trillion dollar company. You can do things with with that. You can make you can make historic uh, record breaking acquisitions. We'll find out if it uh, if it comes to pass. I always my take is you know always. When Bob came on, I'm like, Bob Iger has bigger things to do right now than sell the company. I do think that may be on his list in 2024. I do not think this will be something that I'm going to deal with for a little while. I don't think it's easy for a little while. Um, but you could see in early 2025, when he presumably leaves the company or rejoins the board, whatever's going to happen, you know. Or so he's cryogenically you, frozen and kept but, on as CEO. Right. So, if, so if you're a company and you say, okay, buying Disney is on our list of things to do, when is the moment to do that? To wait two years? Right, but Bob, uh, you know, there's a price factor, certainly, but, uh, you know, 
There's also high interest rates, right? And there's no M&A is at its lowest quarter since 2013, this quarter, then first quarter. So, you know, it's not a hot time to do a deal. Uh, and it's Elaine points out a very expensive one. Um, there are synergies. I could see, yes, uh, if you get Apple's a global, Disney's a global company. They love to be in global theme parks, selling their global products. I think I could see that being a very attractive storefront for the Apple brand uh, that, again, Richard, you pointed out, and Sonny Bunches, our friend of the podcast here, has talked about the tech ain't great at Disney in terms of being integrated into what I want to go into my hotel room. I have something else and I go, they don't track it very well, et cetera, et cetera. That's what Apple does. And they would do it very well. So I could see some things in Elaine, your point about the theme parks being a big backbone of the Disney business, not just the studios. I'm like, okay, that makes some sense. Apple would concede the the content making to Disney is like, you're the experts. We've done what we've done and, but you have all the IP and this is what drives things. And, Frozen on an iPad screen will sell a lot more than luck on an iPad screen. So, yes, we will lean into every franchise you have to move our products. Remember, Apple is a consumer products company. They make, you know, 200, made $120 billion last year in mostly consumer products. Even if Disney's being added into it, uh, it's not going to be, you know, a major, major part of what they, I mean, comparatively speaking, to selling iPhones and selling iPads. So, I don't know. There's a lot that can go in there. Elaine, last word. You know what Apple really wants to get into? What business Apple would really love to get into? Linear cable networks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I couldn't think of a better a better note to end on than that. Uh, we'll leave that where it is. Um, so looking ahead, we have Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Richard, have you seen it? You you get all the screening. I, I, I have not. You have, have not. not. Jan- all right. Janice Wait. has. Janice, Janice has Janice... seen it. Janice, Janice amazingly saw Dungeons and Dragons and gave it a big thumbs up. She was a fan. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, big thumbs up. So uh, she thought it was a, a great time. Uh, Elaine, what is your, on your viewing agenda these days? Uh, besides Bluey? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Enough said um, on that. All you right. would have been seeing a lot of trailers for it. This is way down the line, but Joyride. Joyride looks great. Okay. Yeah. It does yep. look great. Yeah. The yep, R-rated uh, comedy coming this June from them. So, uh, all right, very good. I'll be watching March Madness with the rest of the sports people. So that's my weekend. But uh, a good thought goes out to Dungeons wait, wait, and Dragons. March, March yeah, ends though. Uh, uh, <laughs> are you watching? Are you watching reruns or or what? What happens? And in... <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it to you in Slack, Richard. Uh, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it squared away. So. Uh, as always, I'll round up the box office in the Wake Up Newsletter on Monday morning with all of your Dungeons and Dragons, John Wick uh, Week 2, uh, and how much uh, Shazam falls off the radar into the ether as the flash becomes the the, the buzz at Warner Brothers. Uh, as always, follow the Ankler at the Ankler on social platform of on social platforms of your choice, and subscribe to the Ankler at theankler.com. We will uh, see you next week. 